Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fifth season, we are looking at Joe Johnston's 2011 film, Captain America, The First Avenger. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. I'm Pete Wright, and I enlisted. Today, we are talking about Minute 9, which begins with Schmidt killing the Tower Keeper and ends with the Doc telling Steve his asthma is enough to make him ineligible. Back today and the rest of the week, we have Curtis Findlay from the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello, Curtis. Hello, hello, and I well, I am glad to be back for another round here. And uh, let me tell you, when I was choosing the minutes, I love how you, you have that spreadsheet and all of the people you invite get to like pick which minutes you want to cover in these five-minute blocks. And so I'm like, I'm scrubbing through the movie, trying to find an interesting part. And of course, all the best ones are already taken. <laughs> uh, but I settled on this block of minutes because the first part, the first few minutes were so Thor-heavy. And then the last ones are the introduction to Steve Rogers. It's like, this is this is great. This is some really good stuff to talk about. What a great chunk of minutes here. It is a sweet spot. I'm actually surprised that it it didn't go faster. Yeah. That these minutes le- were left unpicked. I it, they're just fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are. Uh, I'll tell you the minutes the minutes that got eaten up very quickly were all the the ones uh, right around like the transformation. Those yeah. ones seem to go very quick, but yeah, I was surprised like this is That's what I looked first. Exactly. And you <laughs> right, see, it, it's very popular. But this one you get like we get to meet Schmidt, we get to meet Captain America or Steve Rogers. It's I mean, it's a great spread of minutes. So, yeah. so good call here. Um, and just something I wanted to bring up, uh, we were talking in a few uh, episodes ago about Johann Schmidt. When did the name Johann Schmidt get attached to uh, to Red Skull? And it was in Captain America Comics issue seven. That's where Johann Schmidt first oh, so like became connected golden with the age. character. Yeah, very early on. Yeah, right. Very early. Okay, so it's been pretty much his entire history has had that name attached to it. Yeah, right, right. I mean, and, and still, there have been so many other names, too. But I was it was nice to see, oh, this name actually stuck from very early on yeah. at the beginning. Okay. So. Good. That's interesting. Uh, we have the conclusion of the sentence. Uh, you know, we had our tower keeper, uh, Filch, uh, tell Schmidt that you will burn. And he started saying, I already, and we get the conclusion of that, have. He already has <laughs> burned implications here uh it's a great little uh setup you know we've got these uh, fantastic moments like that that are kind of setups for payoffs later what did what had to burn in order for him and it's and it's interesting because you get this if you walk into this movie you have no idea that red skull is a thing that there's no character or that you, you don't know about the character red skull as as in the one with the red face you just know that there's this Nazi-ish character here. When he says something like, I already have, there's an element that could just be like, you know, kind of sold my soul to the devil sort of way, right? Oh, totally. I mean, I think Absolutely. we could read it that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. That's that's exactly where where I would go with it. Like, I'm, I am already forsaken. That's the, that's the line that I heard. Exactly. Uh, when he said that, I'm already burned. Yeah. And then later we find out it's also kind of a scientific experiment sort of way. So we'll, we will learn all that. Uh, And then he kills uh, Filch. This is, um, uh, this film we're going to talk about being one of the bloodier uh, Marvel films. There certainly is a bit of blood that we're going to see over the course of this film. Starting right here as we have, as we have Schmidt pull out his gun and shoot the tower keeper dead. It's a, I mean, it's a great kill. It works. It's very effective. And we get that splash of blood 
that that hits him. Um, I, I want to talk about the splash of blood, but before we do, what's up with his little jaw flinch that he does there? Did you do you think like do you read it like his he thought his mask was coming off? Did he think that he got splashed with blood? Do either of you have any little sense of that? I thought it was a he was reattaching his face. Okay, so you you, you thought that he felt like his mask yeah. was coming off. Yeah, like the mask was slipping. Yeah, I I feel that too. And you can kind of tell because this is one of the interesting things the the actual like the the can the the cannon is firing off on the the comically large tank. And uh what I love about it is the the vibration of the cannon fire is actually shaking the camera and maybe he thought that that vibration was causing his mask to peel. Uh and so <laughs> Yeah, he he fixed it. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think it's there to, you know, say, oh, there's something going on with this guy. Yeah, you get you get a little bit of um, like his red around his eyelids and that kind of stuff as well, and uh, just to to make it seem like this guy's something a little off about him. That is a great makeup note too. That when his mask starts to pe- starts to peel around his eyes, is just straight up horrifying uh, look right it's just such a nuanced menacing you know leaning in on menacing for for this character menacing touch that i thought worked perfectly having the mask peel around eyeballs so gross <laughs> it, it is great we, we'll definitely get a chance to talk about that um, a little later in the movie it, it's just so interesting what i love about this though i mean he does that weird little uh, kind of adjustment on his cheek. But then we get the camera pushing in on his lapel pin, that hydro lapel pin that he has that is now, uh, the whole top of it is covered in Filch's blood. And, you know, the hydro lapel or the hydro logo is a skull with those tentacles. And so here you literally have oh, a red skull there here. There you go. Look at that. <laughs> Foreshadow. Oh, I did not even, I did not even connect that. That is, that's a good bit, Andy. It's so fun. You, you stuck the landing. And his sidekick, the, the crimson octopus as well. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's where they so really weird. missed out. <laughs> giving us yeah. an octopus for a pet. We really, we really, really <laughs> needed that. <laughs> Um, this is uh, this is uh, the end of this particular scene. Do either of you have any last bits that you want to talk about with Schmidt or the Tower Keeper or the finding of the Tesseract or our time in Tonsberg, Norway, March 9th, 1942? Well, it was it was only a uh, blood spatter because I just didn't I, I felt like the first thing I thought is, does blood really splash backward like that, given the distance he was standing away from <laughs> Filch when he shot him? Like, that is the weirdest explosive shell, explosive round that would propel that much blood landing perfectly on the on the logo. It is a hydro bullet, Pete. It is not it's a, a hydro bullet. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's like a worm. It goes into the thing and then shoots blood backwards. Is that <laughs> exactly how it does? Right. That's gross. Yeah, you, people always get splashed with blood when they shoot people. That's like you always and see that I in always movies. have this complaint. <laughs> so nothing you know, new. You know what? Once you start shooting more people, Pete, you'll stop complaining about this. <laughs> okay, that's just a terrible. terrible <laughs> yep, that's the worst. That. You did it. You took it to the weird place. Okay. Uh, any last uh, comments on this section of the film, Curtis? Nope. I'm good to move on. All right. We are moving on. We're moving to New York City. Uh, and to jump in time, we are now June 14th, 1943. So we've kind of skipped ahead a little bit. And this is Flag Day. 
And we start with an establishing shot of the city from the Brooklyn side of the Brooklyn Bridge. But we end up in the enlistment office in Bayonne, New Jersey, which is really not that far from Brooklyn. But that's where we happen to be in this particular location. This is our, our first time really jumping over to the states in the in the period. What do you two think when you're looking at this shot of New York with the uh, that kind of 1943 skyline? Well, I absolutely love the aesthetic of the 1940s. Uh, it it's just in that the whole culture. I mean, except for you know depression and war and all that. I just love the 1940s. Um, so just just seeing being able to see the landscape like that. I mean, I have no real connection with New York. I've been there for you know less than 24 hours one time. So I don't. <laughs> I've only seen it in movies really. So, but but it still is just a. It's a great skyline. Uh, but you'll have to tell me, Flag Day, um, is that a real thing? Flag Day is a real thing here in the States. Um, okay. What a weird thing. My sense of Flag Day, I'm going to look up what it is, because honestly, I'm like, what, did, what is Flag like, Day for? Is it a holiday? My only experience with it, it's it's not like a, a day off sort of holiday, but it's something that you celebrate on June 14th. Yeah. The, it's it's when the, the Stars and Stripes were uh, adopted as the our official flag. Oh, okay. Um, so... I, I don't. What? Why do we? Do you have uh, a maple leaf day? We don't. No, we don't have a maple leaf day. <laughs> Not that I know of. <laughs> it seems. It seems a little bit uh, on the nose, sort of egoic that we have a flag day, but I'll take it. It's fine. If it, my only recollection from my youth is like it was a day that we would have like a, a parade or something like it was one of those days where it was just like it's a summer holiday yeah. and you know it was either that or like a month later you'd have independence day and do a parade then but it yeah. just was one of those things that uh, you know you'd kind of celebrate and i don't i don't really know why nobody really takes it off it's just something that's there do you get ice cream on that day <laughs> you know i get ice cream every day if i can in america you can have ice cream anytime you want <laughs> <laughs> so so flag day i you know i guess the reason that the story shifts to flag day is because they wanted it to be on a patriotic day right, right? they okay. wanted to to tie in in some capacity uh to to give us some reason yeah i mean it doesn't really call it out that it's flag day but it is if you look at the marvel timeline that's the date they picked for it so yeah uh, as I said, we are in the enlistment office here in Bayonne, New Jersey, um, and it's not too far from Brooklyn. Um, we're seeing a doctor who's calling people's names. This is the labeled the 4F doctor, played by Simon Coons. He is uh, calling names. We we hear him call out Michael O'Connell, and we come in uh, when he calls Kaminsky Henry, and um, we do see this person stand up and walk. So at least we, I, it's an unidentified extra, no idea who plays Henry Kaminsky. Um, but, uh, and, and then we see newspapers. And so I wanted to talk about these newspapers before the, uh, the more important things in this minute. Um, we see a variety of headlines, U-boats, torpedo ships off Virginia coast, big losses for allies in Africa reported, pile found water, big factor in Sicily, all of Italy thrown into deep gloom by allied invasion. Uh, I mean, there's just a bunch of stuff going on here. Uh, Nazis retake Zitomir. What did you two think as, as you're kind of looking at all these different headlines as far as like tying, again, real world things into this into this Marvel movie? Yeah, I liked it. I, uh, I've never heard of Zhitomir. Yeah, I had to look that one up, too. It's a city in Ukraine, which yeah. kind of is like, oh, that's right. kind of actually appropriate for today as well. 
Um, sure. But uh, I think, yeah, part of the picking of Flag Day is probably the timeline of events. If we looked up these dates, I'm sure that it actually probably falls right in line with where we are in, 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 the, in the date that they've picked. You know, it's funny. I was trying to find some dates for some of this stuff, and and I think that they were intentionally picking some things that were great headlines, but could be spread out over time. Okay, U boats torpedoing ships off the Virginia coast that happened over the course of years, right? That they were doing that, okay. so that could work. Big losses for the Allies in Africa um, that happened also from the nineteen forty to through forty three, so that certainly could work. Um, one of them that I found, all of Italy thrown into deep gloom by the Allied invasion, that technically happened in July 1943 when we first invaded Sicily. So it's a little ahead of its time. You know, it is what it is. The, the, when the Nazis retake Zitomir, that is the one that really kind of, um, threw me for a loop because they controlled Zitomir in Ukraine from July 9th, 1941 to November 12th, 1943. Then again, November 19th, 1943 to December 31st, 1943. So if it's saying they retake Zitomir, it should be November 43, not June 43. But okay. It is what it is. That, so, you know, come on, they didn't get that right. I know. Come I'm going to make a whole YouTube video about how that's incorrect. <laughs> yeah, somebody probably already has. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I, you know, what I, what I really notice more than anything is just how great the presentation of these soldiers waiting in line yeah. is. And the fact that we get the visual joke as we land on these two papers that we have big paper, small paper, we see large man. Uh, holding little paper, and then all we get our hands around the big paper to get our our ultimate reveal of um, the diminutive Steve Rogers. I think that's a fun visual joke that it's a little guy holding a big paper, and I- I'm okay with it. Like it's cheeky and it's fun and funny, and we get a taste of his ultimate patriotism. Well, and and the the gag, I mean, yeah, what's nice about it is they, I mean, the small paper, you can see the person behind it, but the little paper, but that big paper, it could be a big guy behind it. We just don't know. And so, yeah, it's a great way to kind of play this reveal. And that is the thing that inevitably, I mean, yeah, it's great that they kind of found headlines that kind of fit in with, you know, roughly this time period. But really, it is for this, uh, this big reveal that we have here. And, um, and, you know, I mean, if you'd seen the trailer for this, you probably already knew what was coming. But what's great about it is you really aren't completely sure when it's happening, if this is the moment or what. And so when you do finally get that newspaper reveal, when Rogers Stephen is called and you have him stand up, what a great reveal. Yeah. Uh, sure. Curtis, what was your reaction when you saw uh, scrawny Steve here. Um, I was, I loved it. I'm like you said, the trailer kind of gives a little bit away about how he would look and such, but just even just seeing, cause I think at that point I definitely knew Chris Evans as human torch. Yeah. And right. so, um, that's, that's the visual look I'm expecting. And then to see this, like, He's like gaunt, like it's just it's beyond skinny. Uh, they make a real big point of calling out how you know unhealthy he kind of looks, and uh, it was it was great. What a great surprise! A, a great reveal. They played it up really well. Did either of you watch like the behind the scenes about all of this about kind of that creating this version of him? No, that's what that was my next uh, my next comment is how well do you feel like the the technology. 
landed uh, because <laughs> obviously that's not that's not Chris Evans. Well, what's so interesting is that they they ended up doing a whole bunch of different ways to kind of create him. And I was really surprised because I thought it was all social network, you know, face replacement, basically, yeah. that we have over the course of this section of the film with Scrawny Steve. Yes, they do that sometimes. But what they also did is they basically shot every single scene with Chris Evans playing the character. Then they shot it. And we, we haven't mentioned that uh, Leander Dini is the scrawny version. Um, then they would shoot it with Leander. Then they'd also get plates. And then they would sometimes they would just like shrink Chris Evans and then gaunt him up a little bit with Leander's body. Sometimes they were doing the face replacement. Like they, they were doing so many different ways to kind of come up with this version of him. And so sometimes you're looking at it, and you're like, it kind of is working. Something's a little off. And then all of a sudden they're, they're doing something else in like the very next shot. And so it, it tricks your brain into believing it. Yeah. And I find as I watch this, like it's, it works exceptionally well, um, especially for something that's, you know, 11 years old now, like you watch it and you're like, you know, they really pulled this off quite, uh, quite impressively. Yeah. They really do, especially in that next scene where he's just walking away. That's that's uh, that's one thing. It's lit well. It uh, you know the motion work is great as he crosses screen. But when it's when we get a that slow slow drop to him standing in line looking up at the doctor, where we get a chance to actually stop and reflect. That's that's there's no way that's Chris Evans. I'm a shocked audience member. Uh, look at my shocked face that it really lands. And I, I feel like I, I had no doubt, no question that, uh, you know, even though I knew Chris Evans, it did not take very long for me to just believe that that's that was who he was going to be. 11 years later, it still holds up really, really well. And this is kind of the beginning of Marvel doing this on a very regular basis of kind of plastering faces on other bodies or or like making people look younger i mean i think in iron man 3 yeah uh we get the young tony stark right yeah and that's yeah. a couple that's only a couple movies from now so th right. this is kind of the the start of them really playing with that technology and uh, and i think they i think they nailed it i mean we'll see what happens in another 20 years if we still feel that way but i still think it holds up really well yeah I mean, even when they're aging them, because I mean, when they do the old Captain America that we get at the end of Endgame, mm, yeah. um, I mean, he was wearing some age makeup, but they add even more age makeup on there. They gaunt him up. They they do all that stuff. So, I mean, just the way that they manipulate in these little subtle ways, um, it's just, it's really impressive. Yeah. And the way, and in this particular shot where you get uh, to see him so short as compared to the rest of them, what they were doing often is they would have Chris there but he would be kneeling on like uh, some sandbags so he was at leander's height and he would perform the scene and then yeah they were just kind of like doing that combination so he was still there doing the performance so so interesting all right let's before we jump into uh the character of steve steve rogers i wanted to real quick do the imdb game for uh, Steve and also for Leander Dini. So Chris Evans, the two of you, without looking at IMDb, we're going to do the IMDb game. What are the four films that IMDb says that Chris Evans is known for? Oh, man. I am so not <sighs> is, is, familiar with his filmography. Wasn't he the guy in that uh, pseudo superhero movie? The What was it? 
all I can think of is Looper. It wasn't Looper. It was another thing. He had like kinetic brain abilities. Oh yeah. Um, uh, what was that one called? It was um, Push. Like, push. Is that what push? It's I, push. I'm going to go out on a limb and say he was in Push. How about that? Definitely Push. <laughs> okay. Um, otherwise, it's what? It's like all Avengers movies. <laughs> uh, or Fantastic Four. Right? It's like Fantastic Four you could think be Fantastic there. Fantastic Four is up there. And really? maybe, like, maybe Scott Pilgrim? Was he? Was he? He was in that, right? He's in Scott Pilgrim. Okay. So I'm going to go, I'm going to say push. This is my vote. Push, uh, First Avenger, um, Winter Soldier, and Civil War. When you say First Avenger, you mean this movie, not the First Avengers movie. Oh, dear God, let's, no. Let's I don't clear. mean the First Avengers movie. No, I'm going to say it's the rest of them are, are either Cap or Avengers. So I think it's Avengers, did I say Civil War, and Winter Soldier, and Push. That's my vote. I'm going to say inf- Infinity War, Captain America, Snowpiercer and <gasps> um, oh yes. god that's gonna oh man and, I, uh, I live with regret <laughs> I don't know Avengers the first Avengers let's not forget he was in Knives Out and the new movie Lightyear uh, so, oh uh, Lightyear is, oh yeah I uh, forgot about that okay uh, uh, yeah. okay Who, <laughs> so what is it what's the answer <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this is an actor who's been making movies since 2000. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, you know, he was uh, a little infamous with his role in Not Another Teen Movie. Um, <laughs> Cellular, he was in. I mean, he's been in so many things. 45 movie credits so far with um, The Gray Man being the one that's most uh, most recently being advertised. It'll be out by the time this airs. I'll just tell you both. Um, you're on the right track when you are talking about the Marvel films. That certainly is something that in these IMDb games um, for Marvel, those films rise to the top. And Harry Potter, if they're in Harry Potter movies, those always rise to the top as well. The four for Chris Evans. Number one, The Avengers. Number two, this movie, Captain America, The First Avenger. Number three, Captain America, Civil War. Number four, Avengers Age of Ultron. (laughs) What? (laughs) Okay, well... Well, why is that adventures. the fourth one? I feel yeah. duped. That's weird. Very peculiar that that's the one they went with there, but it is what it is. Uh, all right. Now, Leander Dini, he plays Steve's double, but he's also an actor uh, in his own right. Uh, are either of you familiar at all with him as an actor? Otherwise, I'll just tell you what his four are. Not at all. Never heard of him before. No, never heard of him. Yeah, I wouldn't have been able to pull uh, pull him. Um, more more TV stuff, but uh, the the films that he's in, both of them are on here. Captain America: The First Avenger is his number one. His second one is Atonement. He was in uh, the Joe Wright film Atonement that had quite a bit of buzz. He was a police constable in that film. Okay. The third is a show called Endeavor. Uh, are either of you familiar with the TV series Endeavor? No, I think it might never be heard a, it. a BBC series. Yeah. And last but not least is the show Merlin. Merlin. Oh. That was yes. a that was an all right show. You know who was in that? Anthony Stewart Head was in that. Giles. He played uh the king uh, King Arthur's uh, Arthur's father uh in that. That's fantastic. What was he? What did he do? 
Was he of note or was he a secondary character? He played someone named George. <laughs> oh, <laughs> George sure. from Merlin. That George. <laughs> <laughs> I regret this entire line of inquiry. Let's move on. <laughs> So okay, so oh, that's he, Leander Dini. He's yeah. a scrawny guy. Yeah, is that what ahead. it is? He's the yeah. he's a scrawny guy. So they wanted to find somebody. Uh, he'll he'll actually be in a role later in the film. Um, you know, much like the the body double for um, Social Network. That you know that actor also got a chance to actually be in the film as a as a minor character. Same thing with Leander. We'll talk about that when it pops up. But otherwise, yeah, he is just performing everything that uh that uh, chris evans does in this early part of the film except he's doing it with dots all over his face so that they can deal with the uh the facial replacement when needed so the interesting and and uh you know role of people who play body doubles for these sorts of films you know they never get they never really get the recognition they deserve yeah but the film wouldn't be the same without him doing what he's doing that's fantastic so, Steve Rogers. Let's start talking about Steve Rogers and his origins. Uh, Curtis, you've read a number of the Steve Rogers comics. What's your take on on kind of the origin of Steve and and what he represents? Uh, I think this is a it's such a great origin story because Steve is the everyman. He's the person we all want to be, and especially driving home the fact that he is not a super fit superhero character. Um, that's because that's, you know, more representative of most people in the world. Um, so have him being so patriotic and wanting to do his, his duty for his country. I think it rings true to a lot of people. I think that that's, even if you're not physically able to do it, you still want to to try and help out. It's an admiral quality to have. And this sets the stage for everything that Steve does moving forward in every Marvel movie. All of his actions are grounded in this one minute that we first are introduced to Steve Rogers right here. Pete, what are your thoughts about Steve? Yeah, it's an it's an identity plate sequence, right? It's it's here's because we learn a lot about his uh, obviously his integrity. He he wants to serve his country. That defines his patriotism, but also his persistence, his absolute persistence uh, to to do this thing. And it sets up the call and response that we have with uh, later with the with his when he gets involved in the scientist because he says, uh, you know, I, give me a chance. He is he is fundamentally frail, and that's what gives us the fantastic sort of um, uh, character moment when they're having a, a drink later and, and ends up talking about how, you know, I, I want you because you are the weak man, because you understand what it's like to be weak. This is his identity. This is his showcase where weakness equals strength, and um, uh, it's it is perfect to your point. I mean, we absolutely relate to it. I don't care how tall or short you are. This is, you can relate to feeling small. And we have to, like, the the movie leans in on feeling small by showcasing him as small. Uh, but he doesn't need to, he doesn't necessarily need to be small. It, it is, it, his identity is huge. Well, that's what's, I think, so um, important about him as a character is that he's small. I mean, you look at his health issues, asthma, scarlet fever, rheumatic fever, sinusitis. They have to listen to the sinusitis. <laughs> Chronic or frequent colds, high blood pressure, palpitation of pounding in heart, easy fatigability, heart trouble, nervous trouble of any sort, has had household contact with tuberculosis, parent or sibling with diabetes and cancer. 
it's like there's there are so many things that they physically say are wrong with him and what the film is pointing out and what the character of Steve is pointing out is that it's not about, you know, it's, it's that whole thing. It's not about what you are on the outside. It's about what you are on the inside. Right. right. I mean, that's really what it is. And we see that play out over the course of the film. It's uh, I think it's a powerful stance to, to take. It makes very much sense for them to kind of keep this film grounded in the forties. It doesn't, it's, this isn't a modern film taking place in 2011. Having this character in that period of time, when Americans had that sense of patriotism fighting the Nazis, the good versus evil, like it all feels so um, perfectly fit into this time period. It makes sense that they chose to do this as a period piece. Yeah. Curtis, were you surprised when they when you saw that this was going to be a period piece or did you think, why don't they just do Captain America as a modern film and just kind of update the character like they have with the other ones? I was not surprised. In fact, I was relieved that they left it in the 1940s because it is so central to Captain America's origin. And uh, unlike any other character in the Marvel Universe that can their origin can uh, happen at kind of any time. Uh, this one is so distinctly grounded and rooted in World War II that it kind of has to stay that way. And Stan, when he, because so yeah, because that character in the in its publishing history kind of disappeared as the the comic company was having some turbulent times. And then when when Stan took the reins in the '60s and decided to bring him back and have him in ice, it was perfect because that buffer between World War II and when he comes back from the ice can be any amount of time. So at that point, we can bring him up into the history. It's not like we're going to bring Steve back un- and thaw him out in 1964 or whenever it was. So, but yeah, the, the origin has to be here. And I'm glad that the entire movie, save for a couple minutes, is in, is is set in the past. Yeah, absolutely. That's it's 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 a nice thing that they uh, did keep it that way. We we didn't we haven't really brought up the fact that yeah, I mean this wasn't a Stanley character like this you know stan lee is so so tied in with everybody these days with um with marvel and because he's had cameos and everything he's very much that guy who's always wanted to do this but this wasn't a stan lee creation this was uh was it joe simon and um and jack kirby kirby right yep. yeah they created them the, these characters way way back in the thir- in the 30s Sorry, not the 30s, the 40s. <laughs> they created Cats Merrick in the 40s. And um, it was a product of the time. All of the comic companies were creating patriotic characters at this point because that was just the way the culture was leaning. And uh, any characters who already existed were then enlisted in the army. Popeye the Sailor, for instance, became part of the Navy, the U.S. Navy. And uh, right. a lot of those cartoons became war-related propaganda films for the American government. And even Superman... Uh, joined joined the, the 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 war effort and stuff, and so having um, having Captain America creating Captain America in World War during World War Two, you know, it only makes sense that when we have a movie of him seventy years later or whatever, that we're going to keep it that way. And I think all of you Americans with your national pride, you wouldn't want it any other way, anyway, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Delightful, delightful troll. Delightful troll. That's right. That's right. (laughs) 
I, I will say I, I, it's it's pretty powerful that they came up with this character and they have him like the very first issue, uh, which was March 41. They have him punching Hitler. I mean, it's it, we see the, the comic like they recreate it in the context yeah. of this story, which I, I love that they do that. Yeah. But I mean, it's before really the U.S. is really fully involved. It's before Pearl Harbor. And so I find it just very interesting that um like it became such a um a vocal way for these artists and comic writers to kind of like um you know get this message out it's very true yeah yeah that's a good point that he was created before and in fact i think a lot of media companies were were already kind of because that's it's the the big hot button topic of of uh of the day it wasn't like a small thing even the the war that's happening currently in ukraine is small peanuts compared to how germany was taking like sweeping europe um at this time and so i think that even though america didn't want to get involved they still were like we still know who the bad guy is yeah right yeah yeah very much so so Steve is so so this is a you know we we've been talking about this film so far we know it's a period piece but I do love the fact that they keep this very ta- attached to that period and they found you know I mean they've titled this Captain America the First Avenger letting us know that this is really kind of the start of all of this stuff that we've already kind of come to know since the very you know that first post credit sequence that we have at the end of Iron Man about the Avenger initiative this is really kind of when all of that gets started. So it's it's pretty cool the way they do this. Uh, were you able to find a voice credit for the person who's calling out Michael O'Connell and Henry Kaminsky? Um, it is our actor. That is the, um, he's labeled, he's credited as the 4F oh, doctor. Oh, it's the same guy. Okay. Uh, uh, we'll see why. Yeah, it's the same guy. Simon okay. Kuntz is the guy who's calling everybody out. Because I had a hint of, I felt like there was a hint of Stan Lee in his voice. There very much was. I, I know. I play that a few times. Like, it really sounds like Stan Lee. Yeah. I'm like, oh, no, it's just the doctor. But how weird is that? It's just the New York in him. <laughs> I guess. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> I was th- trying to figure out if Michael O'Connell or Henry Kaminsky were uh, Easter eggs, if they're characters that we should, uh, you know, call out or if they're like Marvel artists or writers or something. But I couldn't find anything. Uh, there's a Len Kaminsky who is a prominent writer in the 90s, but that's spelled differently. Yeah, I was wondering about that too. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I didn't find any. I didn't find any connections there. I, I will say I was just reading some uh, some Captain America comics earlier uh, today, and I did uh, some of the early ones, and I did see that there was a Kaminsky character, and I'm like, oh, I can't imagine it was just. It, it, it was just like a hmm. a name in the comic. I can't imagine it was such a um, a random thing to grab onto, but yeah. maybe it was. I yeah, it's hard to say because it's not like they're. Uh, blatant about calling anyone particular out. Uh, I will say it's interesting that Kaminsky, though, is a Polish name. Uh, and so that that character is enlisting to help out the, you know, to join the war to fight against Germany. Right. And they've already taken over Poland by this point. Yep. Um, so just a, a couple uh, notes uh, kind of timeline wise as we were looking at all this uh, if you read that comic I, I mentioned captain america first vengeance which is a kind of a direct tie into this film you do learn that steve and bucky um, once they learn about the attack on pearl harbor they end up enlisting or they go to enlist december 24th uh, 1941 so a little bit after uh, pearl harbor 
Um, and I, I, I assume at that point, Bucky gets uh, enlisted. Steve is rejected. He goes on to be rejected four more times, four more cities. This is, I guess, presumed presumably his fourth rejection. And I guess, like, since then, I'm assuming that Bucky has been in basic training. I'm not really sure what Bucky's been up to because, you know, as we'll find out, he's he's getting his orders. But, um, you know, to be enlisted in 1941, and here we are, um, we're coming into this particular film in uh, 1943. Uh, it seems like a lot of time before Bucky's done anything. It does seem like Bucky has been off off training because he comes back and he's uniformed and polished. And he also is the hero, as we'll see, you know, shortly. He already has that hero thing. So my hunch is there's the the uh, the story we never see is Bucky and Steve going off together to enlist and Bucky getting enlisted the first time around. And our story follows Steve as he continues to try to to pull one over on the enlistment. Yeah, officer. Yeah, that's and that's that's what's in the comic. It just seems like a long time from December 1941 yeah. to now, June 1943. I I don't think basic training runs quite that long. Well, it's, like it, it's I, it's basic and and it's just intermediate and there's advanced <laughs> training and and uniform so advanced, advanced uniform. He's, he's moved yeah. up to advanced, but also that <laughs> also means because there's genuine surprise from Steve when he sees Bucky in uniform. So they haven't spoken yeah. for. A couple of years here, either. It's been, yeah, you it's know. been some time. Right, right, right. right. Uh, we do have this moment here uh, as Steve is is talking to the doctor about his parents, um, where uh, it, which was odd. What's your father die of? Mustard gas. He was in the hundred seventh infantry. Uh, his mother was a nurse in a TB, TB ward. Um, we do meet them in that same comic. Steve's parents are Joe and Sarah Rogers. His dad uh, did die in World War One. Uh, well, I should say. In some instances, in other instances, his dad was alive uh, much later and um, was a little more abusive and stuff like that. There's different versions in the comics, but uh, in the MCU, his father died um, in 1918, same year Steve was born, July 4th, 1918, as as we see on his little card here. So I, I, I love those little bits about kind of just getting a little family history here. But I, I, I don't know, the way that it plays, did either of you think, is he making all this up or was he being serious with all this? Because there's something about the way that Steve's kind of doing this, it feels like, is he faking all this? Faking it to engender patriotic support of his effort to try to be a soldier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like just, I, I felt like he was like showing how tough he is by being able to just say, yeah, my mom bit it. <laughs> that kind of thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> I do, because I think that would be out of character to try to to pull one over on anybody, right? He's he's a truth justice guy. Like, he's not going to lie to get into, you know, even though that's his, his primary goal, he's not going to lie to do that. I just don't believe it. Even, well, even though he's lying he does, to get in, he he's lie. not going to lie to get in. Yeah, he's Is not going to lie saying? to get in. That's what I'm saying. He doesn't want his, his patriotic duty to be built on a foundation of lies. Even though okay. it's kind of built on a foundation of lies. Though, Shut up. Nobody asked because, you. <laughs> because the end goal is he's fighting Nazis. Yeah. And therefore, it's an okay lie. Captain right? number one, he's punching Hitler in the face. <laughs> Get to the punching of Hitler. <laughs> um, Captain America, I, I, I want to run... Uh, but I, I don't have anything else other for this specific minute, but I did want to throw this past you both. 
Um, as likely you all have heard, because this was a big thing at the time, um, at the time the role of Captain America was up, they had it set to be a nine-picture deal. They ended up reducing it to six because it, so many people were balking at that. Now, apparently that didn't wasn't a problem for Samuel L. Jackson when he signed on. He'll do anything. Uh, but, but a lot... Of, yeah, he'll do anything, right? <laughs> but a lot of people... He still doesn't know what like, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is about, by the way. <laughs> totally he just clueless. comes in and out. Uh, but he, he, a lot of other actors had been in discussions and had been talked to. Uh, some of these names, I'm curious if any of these stand out as somebody who could have potentially worked better than Chris Rogers. Or Chris Rogers, Chris, Rogers. Chris Evans. <laughs> Blending blending them together. Okay, I'm just going to run down this list. Tell me if you think any of these stand out. Sam Worthington. Oh, yeah, I could see that, but he was uh, getting busy with Avatar. He's, uh, yeah, somehow tied into that, probably still. Yeah. What about Will Smith? No. What? Yeah. No. Interesting. I mean, I know Will Smith carries more connotations now than it did in 2011. Well, yeah. But it seems like an interesting direction to go. I think that... um... America would not have accepted that just based on color. They had to work up to that to get, yeah. to, to get Sam Wilson in that spot. Yeah. Right, right. Here, I'm just going to go through these quicker because otherwise okay. it's take forever. Uh, tell me which ones stand out. Garrett Headland, Channing Tatum, Scott Porter, Mike Vogel, Sebastian Stan, interestingly, Wilson Bethel, John Krasinski, Michael Cassidy, Chase Crawford, Jensen Ackles, Kellen Lutz, Ryan Phillippe, Alexander Skarsgård, Dane Cook, Jen, uh, and the two Jonas Brothers, or two of the Jonas Brothers. Oh, <laughs> you don't want to be that third Jonas Brother. <laughs> well, I think all of them probably fit the, you know, average white American kind of mold, except for Will Smith. <laughs> but uh, yeah. um, as far as acting There are people goes, who would argue that Will Smith also fits the average white American mold. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I couldn't have pictured Chris Evans doing this because I strictly knew him as, as Human Torch. I'm like, this guy's a goofball actor. I don't know. Yeah. This is a serious role. And like I so sorry, well, and I mean to your point, that's a really interesting thing because like th they weren't at this place where you felt like they were just kind of re recasting roles willy nilly, and when you have an actor playing a very prominent Marvel character, to all of a sudden say, let's take that guy who plays uh, the Human Torch and let's just move him over to play Captain America, it does seem like like very strange i mean and i know those films weren't quite as well regarded but still i mean it's like hey you know you know robert downey jr uh let's take him and let's put him into this this other role um it it seems weird to me to that that was kind of the direction that they were thinking yeah well robert downey jr had been around enough that we knew that he was versatile and could take on that kind of role um i mean like you said i think the um what was it not another teen movie and human, yeah. human torch as <laughs> our exposure to Chris Evans. So it's like, uh, it, it, I think people had the same reaction when Michael Keaton was cast as Batman. It's like, yeah, this guy's a comedy actor and he's going to be Batman in this super serious yeah, Tim right. Burton Batman. I don't think so, <laughs> but proved us all wrong. He was fantastic. Yeah. That's a good comparison. Actually. That works. Um, 
yeah, I, I, if anything, it was just more the fact that he was the human torch that they brought him over. Um, but it's funny because, and this is, this is why casting can be such an interesting thing. Cause then you look at what Chris Evans has done in the role and you're like, God, I can't imagine any other person playing him now. Like he is just so perfectly cast for this character. Yeah. All right. I don't have anything else for this minute. Do either of you have anything? So on the newspaper, um, I was also looking for some Easter eggs there. You're mentioning all the headlines, but there was one advertisement that I think it was a little blurry. So I had a hard time reading it, but I think it said, Howard quality lasts. I saw that and I couldn't quite make out exactly what it was, but if it was kind of a, well, I guess, it, it, do you think it would make sense for them to advertise as Howard and not quality Stark. or would yeah. it be more? Yeah. I don't right. know. I don't know how he was branding himself at that time. I can't remember if was Stark Industries already a thing in the 1940s. Well, we're going to find out in a few minutes because yeah. we're going to see the... Um, <laughs> That's right. Yeah, like they were trying to figure out what the brand is going to be. They just weren't quite there yet. Yeah, I don't know. I have no idea. I, and like I said, it was blurry, so maybe that's not what at all what it said, but it looked like yeah. Howard to me. Interesting. Oh, it, it does say Howard quality lasts, but yeah, it does It does make you wonder. Like in my head, I'm like, because I was wondering that too. I'm like, is that Howard Stark? Or maybe it's like just the Howard Johnson Hotels or something like that. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Quality. Uh, Howard Johnson quality hotels. Who knows? Who knows? That, that's an interesting note. Um, Pete, any last thoughts from you? I'm out on asthma alone, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's wrap up this minute. Uh, Curtis, remind everybody where they can find you and learn more about your show. Well, I have a podcast where we talk about old Marvel comics, the classic stuff from the 60s to the 90s. And I can't believe you call the 90s classic, but they are <laughs> uh, you can go to epicmarvelpodcast.com and you can also search for epic marvel podcast on all major social media sites and i'll probably be there fantastic uh, all right everybody well that's it we will be back with one more minute this week uh thank you so much for tuning in until next time true believers i'm just too busy punching nazis Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Spread the News by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show. <laughs>